marriage is so breathtakingly significant. It matters. And the reason ultimately that marriage matters is because my marriage will either display or distort the glory of God. My marriage is a mirror. When somebody looks at my marriage, they are to see a reflection of God's image. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today we'll continue in the Marriage Matters series as Pastor Trent moves on from the question of why marriage to answer how to have a marriage that reflects God's image. As we do, we'll discover three biblical choices a husband and wife can make. So let's listen now to the message, The Matter of Oneness. Here's Pastor Trent. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We are a vertical church talking about a very horizontal subject. We're a vertical church focused on the glory of God. We want it to be all about Jesus. It is always about Jesus. It is only about Jesus. But one of the things that Jesus talks about is the subject of marriage because marriage matters. And we kind of got an overview last week. And uh, if you if you remember, we, we, we wanted to answer the question why before we started to answer the question how. Why marriage rather than how do I do marriage? Well, we're going to start talking about how marriage today, but last week we learned that marriage is so breathtakingly significant. It matters. And the reason ultimately that marriage matters is because my marriage will either display or distort the glory of God. My marriage is a mirror. When somebody looks at my marriage, they are to see a reflection of God's image. And so we defined marriage this way last week. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. That's our target. Now, today, we're going to zero in on one particular component of this definition. We do marriage so that we can reflect God's image by pursuing oneness together with husband and wife. Let's define this word oneness. What are we talking about when we talk about oneness? We're going to see it here in the scripture in just a moment. But I want you to understand it before we see it in the scripture. I grew up in Oklahoma. Andrea grew up in Alabama. And and, uh, down there in, in the southern states, we grew up drinking something called sweet tea. Now, if you're from the south, you realize that's one word. Okay? Sweet tea. And, and when Andrea and I moved up here to the north, we would go into a restaurant and Andrea would always attempt to order sweet tea. She, was, she would tell the waitress, I'd like sweet tea. And she would get this strange response from the waitress. She would look at her and say, honey, the sugar's on the table. We'll bring you tea, but if you want it sweetened, you'll have to sweeten it here at the table. Not knowing and understanding the process that's involved in making sweet tea. You can't just dump sugar in an already brewed cup of tea, right? You understand this process, right? You, you have to heat up the tea and the tea steeps and, and, and pretty soon the molecules of the tea and you dump in, you know, about four pounds of sugar in there and, and the, the sugar and the tea just kind of become one through a process of heat, agitation... And time. You see, that's oneness. Those sugar molecules and the tea molecules can never be separated again because they have been bound together through heat, 
agitation, and time. That's oneness, and that's marriage. Heat, agitation, and time. If you're experiencing any of that in your marriage, do you know what God's doing? God is stirring something that is beautiful. And he values it so highly. So I want you to get your eyes on the scripture here. Matthew chapter 19. And let's read. Let's go ahead and start at verse 1 here. It's kind of in the context that we talked about last week. Verse 1 says this. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. Then verse 3, somebody shows up. And Pharisees. Nicely done. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him, asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And we learned, uh, based on that question, that the Pharisees really weren't looking for an answer. They were just trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't want to talk about divorce. Jesus wants to talk about marriage. So he says in verse 4, he answered, Have you not read... That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Now, where would they have read that? Somewhere, somebody had written that down somewhere. Who wrote that down? Moses, the author of the first book of your Bible. Jesus took them all the way back to the first page of the Bible and said, Guys, this was the foundation for everything. You're supposed to know this. After all, you're... Pharisees, right? You're supposed to know that. So he takes them back to the first page of the Bible and he starts talking about the original, God's original design for marriage. And he says in verse 5, Therefore, a man shall leave, everybody underline the word leave, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, everybody underline the words hold fast, to his wife. By the way, we've got other translations in here. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Does anybody have different words there for the words hold fast? Somebody shout it out. What do you have in your Bible? Cleave. Cleave. You got that one? Join together. United. Okay. We're going to talk about that a lot. Hold on to that word cleave. Okay. It says they shall be joined or cleave and the two shall become one. Underline the numerical terms two and one. There's where we're going to get our context for the matter of oneness. Then he says in verse 6, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So we'll stop right there for now. Let's talk about this matter of oneness. We're going to discover today that if we're going to achieve oneness in our marriages, we're going to need to make three definitive choices. The first choice is this. Leave. You say, man, I've been waiting for somebody to give me permission to leave my wife. And you finally get... No, I'm not talking about your wife. I'm talking about your past dependent relationships. I'm going to ask my wife, Andrea, to come up here and join me for a few minutes because uh, Andrea has been ministering to a group of ladies in Texas all weekend and she got home at midnight last night and I haven't seen her. So I'm missing her. Come over here, honey. I haven't seen you this weekend. And, and we, we've got a little story about this, uh, this matter of leaving. Now, we were, we were married in 1994 
And um, we had dated and been engaged for about, um, for about seven months. We, we were engaged for seven months. And during that seven-month time period, we actually saw each other physically in the same location three times. I was out traveling with Life Action Ministries. She's uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, getting ready for the wedding. And so when, when we got married and she actually spent more than three days with me, she realized what a bargain she had gotten. Well, we, we had written letters. This was before cell phones. This was before emails. So we knew each other's heart, but we had no idea about each other's just every day-to-day thing. And so here um, we get married and we're three weeks in and we're traveling on the road and he is so busy. I mean, like I never see him. He's working 14 hours a day. I am bored out of my mind, having nothing to do. I never see him. And so about three weeks in, I go to him and I'm like, um, I'm leaving and I'm going back to Huntsville, Alabama. And when you're finished with your traveling stuff, you can come and find me and we will stay married, but I am leaving. I've had enough of this. And so at that point, Trent literally went and stood in front of the door of the room where we're talking. And he said, um, if you're leaving, I'm going with you. I'm not going to let you leave. And so what I had to start learning literally is if I had left, I probably just would have been taking the problem with me because I think what I was experiencing then is even though, I mean, I was looking forward to getting married. I was ready to get married. I was ready to leave home. But at the same time, there was stability there. I was known there. I was loved there. And all of a sudden I was entering this new relationship where it seemed like we weren't even communicating at all. And I had to learn. I had to grow instead of flee the situation. I had to learn that what was two was now becoming one. And it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And even now, you know, we have four kids. And so even now, this relationship is the one flesh relationship. It's not a one flesh relationship with my kids. And so I'm trying to learn even with them because it seems like, you know, they need me like every second. He's pretty independent. You know, he doesn't need me all that much. But even with them, I can't be so tight and close with them. One day they've got to leave and I've got to be giving them the freedom to go so that I can help them in their marriage instead of clinging to them and actually hurting their marriage in the long run. So I'm just in process in that. And I am too. Um, thank you, honey. And um, we're actually going to have her back up here in just a minute. The, the, the reason what, what she said is so important is because of God's design. God designed a parent-child relationship as a temporary relationship. God designed a husband-wife relationship as a permanent relationship. And so sometimes in-laws become outlaws when we don't understand when it's time to leave. And it's the foundational principle for oneness. The degree to which you leave is the degree to which you can cleave. And so if we are in a context where we're loved and known and it's secure, that's why Andrea wanted to go back to Huntsville is because her dad did a lot better job expressing love and security and stability to her than I did. And it was safer for her there. And I had to learn to now create this environment where she would rather live with me. And it, was, it took time to do that. 
But when, when you've got a problem or a tension or you find some fault or, or uh, issue in your marriage, it is so easy to go running home to mom and dad. The wise mom and dad will lock the door and send them back to the relationship that God wants to prioritize the relationship with husband or wife. So we've got to break past dependencies if we're going to set up a new relationship that God's going to honor something called marriage. Now, um, it's, it's real important to understand it, it may be your parents. When you leave your parents, obviously you do that in a context of honor. You don't do that belligerently and, and boy, I'm finally done with you. You know, you do that in a context of honor, recognizing the way God's used them to prepare you for this time. But listen, any attachment to something other than the priority relationship with your spouse has a um, tendency to be an obstacle to oneness. It could be financial dependence upon your parents. It could be emotional dependence upon your parents. You have to leave that in order to struggle through this new relationship. Um, Siding with your parents or with your children instead of bonding with your spouse. I know that many of you are in a second marriage or a third marriage and now there's a blended family and there's step families involved and, and there may be even be a former spouse involved. And guess what? It, it, whether or not it was biblical to divorce and, and start over, that, that's another context. Now that that's happened and you're in this season of life, if you want this marriage to establish oneness, there must be a decisive moment when you leave those things in the past. Leaving involves prioritizing the needs of your spouse ahead of your, of your children. And so many times we get so involved, we give the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our emotion to our children, and the spouse gets leftovers. That can become an obstacle to oneness. Or it could be even past romantic relationships. It could be friendships, or it could be hobbies, or it could be career goals, or business travel that's becoming the obstacle in marriage. Or, and I say this to men, it could be your Xbox. God's design is that men grow up and stop acting like boys and break dependencies on other things so that they can prioritize the relationship with their spouse. Because God is glorified when we we establish oneness. Leave, break past, past dependencies. Here's the second choice that we're going to have to make if we're going to pursue oneness with our spouse. And it is the word cleave. And what we mean by that is we must receive our spouse as God's perfect gift for us. We see it here in the text. Therefore, in verse 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The words hold fast or joined or cleave. You say, what in the world does that mean? You know, it's interesting. The word cleave uh, is a word we don't use much anymore. It actually has two definitions that are opposite from one another. Okay? Um, anybody know what this is? This, this is one of the most essential tools in a marriage very important. Everybody knows how to use one of these if you're going to establish oneness in your marriage. What is this? It's a cleaver. Now, in a kitchen, if you're preparing a meal for your family and you got one big honking piece of meat, 
and you want to create two pieces of meat, what do you do with this? You apply it to the meat and you create two out of one. Well, that's the first definition of the word cleave, to make one into two. The second definition of the word cleave is what? To take two and make one. The word cleave means to attach or to join. And, and in this context, it's a permanent bond. I remember I was teaching this one time and there was a guy that was uh, a, a very uh, veteran member of the Navy. And what he did for 45 years in the Navy was he was a welder. And he says, I know what you're talking about when you talk about cleave. You're talking about welding. And he said, there's three different kinds of welding. The first kind of welding is you heat up a third metal and you, it just kind of molds over the two pieces of metal you're trying to put together. That's not very strong. He said, there's a stronger form of welding, and that's when you heat up three pieces of metal, and you, you put them together, and that kind of glues them together, and it's a, it's a stronger bond. He said, the strongest form of welding is when you just heat up the two metals to such a degree, they fuse together, the molecules of this metal become the molecules of that metal, and when you're finished, you don't have two pieces of metal. You just got one. He said, that's what you're talking about when you talk about cleaving. And remember, Jesus is quoting for us from the first few pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 is where this was originally recorded for us. And of course, it's in the story of uh, creation. Adam and Eve were created by God. So I want you to see the context here. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Good to hear those pages turning. Verse 18 says this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. How many of you ladies would agree? It is not good for your husband to be alone. I mean, there have been times that Andrea, Andrea just left me for two days. She came back home. One of the children was on fire. The basement was flooded, you know, and, and you know, I, I didn't know what to do without her. It is not good for men to be alone. What do they need? <laughs> they need a lot. Um, but God tells us what they need here in this verse. Look at the second part of verse 18. I will make a helper for him. A helper fit for him. Like two pieces of a puzzle, God created man with an unmet need. Now remember, this was before the fall. This was before sin. Adam had not yet rebelled against God. And yet, even in that, God created him with a need. He needed a helper. Now ladies, before you look at that and say, is that all I am? I'm just a helper. Kind of like hamburger helper. Is that all I am? No, listen. Do you know that when the Bible is using the word help or helper, if it's not referring to a wife being the helper to her husband, do you know who it's referring to? God. God is not ashamed to call himself a helper. A helper is somebody that understands these people have a need and I am strong and creative and intuitive and dynamic and I want to get involved in making the person better than what they are when they're alone. And so God creates a special being that up until this time had not yet been created. Now look at verse 19. 
It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a what? A helper fit for him. So he looked at a rhinoceros and that's that's not going to be much help. You know, he looked at a golden retriever and said, well, that's not going to be much help. And so he starts naming all of these. Notice God took the initiative to show Adam his need. You know what that means? Sometimes we need a little help to understand how much help we need. If you try to help a person who doesn't understand they need help, you end up needing help yourself, right? Some of you biblical soul care training, you, you understand that. The first understanding is how much we need a helper. I have a friend, and when he was in college, he was shooting uh, billiards with some other friends, and they were goofing off, having a lot of fun. And, and uh, for some strange reason, one of the friends picked up the cue ball and stuck it in his mouth. But then the muscles in his jaw started to tighten up and just kind of clamp down over the, the cue ball. They tried to pry his mouth open. They couldn't get it done. And so, you know, after a while, they had to take this guy to the emergency room. So here they are coming into the, the emergency room, walking up to the, the nurse there or the receptionist. And, you know, can you imagine her sitting there filling out paperwork? And she kind of looks up. How many of you think she had to ask, so what are you here for? It was just kind of obvious, right? You have to understand how much help you need. Some of us are walking around with a cue ball in our mouth, not understanding that we need some serious help. And so God, because he loves us and because he's trying to glorify himself, do you know what he does? He takes the initiative to show us our need. And that's what he did for Adam. Adam may have thought that he could handle this on his own. I mean, he didn't understand that you know, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto and Batman has Robin and Tom Hanks has Wilson, right, in the movie Castaway. Anyway, um, everybody needs some help, okay? And, and God takes the initiative to show him how much he needed help. So, so he gives him a very specific project. You know what he does? He tells him, I want you to name all the animals. Now, could God have named the animals if he wanted to? Yeah, but he gave Adam this little biology project. And notice God took the initiative. He brought the entire zoo parading by Adam and said, what are you going to call that? What are you going to call that? What are you going to call that? And so, you know, Adam's, I don't know what his vocabulary was like, but there's like 45,000 different species of animals. And so it's like platypus, um, alligator, um, buck, and doe. And uh, bull and cow. And pretty soon Adam's noticing these things come in pairs with some slight variations. It's like they come in twos. There's Tyrannosaurus Rex and there's Rexella. And, um, you know, because they were there too, you know, God created those. And um, so, so he's, he's noticing something here. 
everybody's got a helper. Everybody's hooking up. After a while, don't you think Adam's kind of looking around like, I'm alone. I've got God above me. I've got creation below me, but I got nobody beside me. Where's Mrs. Adam? And so Adam needed to be shown how much he needed some help. Several years ago, there was a, there was a want ad placed in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that read this. Single blonde female seeks male companionship. I'm a very good-looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup trunks, hunting, camping, fishing. Cozy winter nights will have me lying by the fire and eating out of the palm of your hand. I'll be at the front door when you get home from work and very happy to see you. Call this number and ask for Daisy. I'll be waiting. Do you know what the result of that ad was? 15,000 men found themselves in a conversation with someone at the Atlanta Humane Society about a blonde golden retriever. You see, men understand they need some help. They, they, just don't, they just don't always know where to get it, right? And so look at what God does. It says here in verse, in verse 22, actually verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its flesh, closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Some of the most significant words in the Bible are right there. God took the initiative and he brought that woman to that man while that man was asleep. Adam was a passive participant in this. Other than the fact that God was creating the environment to show him his need... And then God provided for that unmet need in his life. You will never pursue oneness until you embrace the provision that God provides through your mate. So, God brings this woman to that man. Notice, God did not create women to provide for Adam's need. God created a woman to provide for Adam's need because God knows he only needs one. And if he tries to start adding, it's going to create a mess. So one man with one woman for one lifetime. That was God's original plan. And that's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees that are asking the questions. He wanted to talk about marriage. Today, Pastor Trent gave us a definition of marriage that's worth repeating. Marriage is a holy covenant initiated by God, conditioned on an irrevocable promise to pursue oneness with an imperfect person of the opposite sex for a lifetime for the glory of God. This is God's original plan. 
Well, I hope you'll join us again next week as we continue this message, The Matter of Oneness, and learn how an imperfect husband and an imperfect wife can come together to achieve something they can never do on their own. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message, and each week at Harvest Bible Chapel, you'll hear practical teaching just like this, straight from God's Word. For service times and locations of our Granger, Indiana campus and our St. Joseph, Michigan campus, visit us online at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I hope that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.